0: Good to see you this morning. Genesis 4 is where we're going to be uh, today as we look at, um, continue looking at the the creation account and and what happens. And and what if I were to tell you that as an image bearer of God, your chief purpose, the chief reason why you are here and why you exist is to worship God. We we were made to worship God him he created us as image bearers and gave us the ability to represent him to rule this world for him but in such a way that we could know him as an act of worship now it's a shame that Jesus has to remind us that rocks and trees will cry out if we don't It's a shame that we have to look at the way the world operates and see everything happening according to the plan and the pattern of God's created order except for us. He says in Genesis chapter 1 that he made the sun and the moon... For the dates, to, to, to mark off the dates and the times and the seasons. So we would always have autumn. We would always have winter. We would always have spring. And we would always have summer according to Genesis chapter 1. The leaves falling off the tree are not a result of sin. They are part of how God created everything. And it happens on time, every time, because of how God made the world to operate. But we don't. I'm guilty of it. You're guilty of it. We worship other things, right? I know, this is church. We're not supposed to talk about worship everything. We're supposed to denounce worshiping everything. And we're going to. But before we can fully understand what it means to denounce worshiping other things, we've got to realize that we were created to be worshipers. We were created to worship. And because of that, because of sin, we try to worship other things. But that's not how it was supposed to work. But what if I was to tell you that it was because of worship we saw the ultimate break in who we are as people occur? Familiar passage, Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 4. And if you found your place, I'd like for you to stand with me as we read the word of God together, if you're able to reverence him who has given us his word. It says here in Genesis 4, Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground, and Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, the Lord had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. And The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel, his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Cain said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood and from your hand. And when you cultivate this ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground. And from your face, I will be hidden. And I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. The Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, Vengeance will be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. Cain went from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And Cain had relations with his wife and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch and he built a city and called the name of this and Cain called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son now to Enoch was born Arad, and Arad became the father of Mahujael. Mahujael became the father of Methushael, Methusael became the father of Lamech. And Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one is Adah, and the other was Zillah. And Adah gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who played the lyre and pipe. But as for Zillah, she gave birth to Tubal-Cain, the forger of all implements of bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Namah. But Lamech said to his two wives, Adah and Zillah, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. And Adam had relations with his wife again. She gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring in place of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth, to him also was a son born. And he called his name Enosh. And the men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we're here to worship. We're here to praise you, Lord. I ask you, Father, that you would help peel away all that, not that you would help, Lord, that you would peel away all that would hinder us from seeing your word, hearing your word, applying your word, and walking in your word today as we seek to worship you and to draw others to the worship of the name of the living God. For your son alone is our redeemer. Your son alone gives us hope, and it's to your son alone that we give this glory today. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, you may be seated kind of a long passage of scripture and and, and it covers a lot of things and there are a lot of things that maybe it raises some questions for you that that hopefully we can answer maybe we won't be able to answer today but we can talk about it but what we have here in this passage of scripture is a direct line from Adam all the way to the line from which Jesus would come because that's important to where we go in understanding that Jesus was the plan before the creation of the world that God had already decided he was going to send his son Jesus Christ to be the redeemer of mankind because mankind would be those who would sin and those who would sin would need to be saved. But we have a few things that we've got to uncover here because this passage deals specifically with worship in many ways. But let's walk through together and see what develops as we look at this idea of worshiping in this fallen world says there in verse 1 that the man had relations with his wife Eve and she conceived and gave birth to Cain and said I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord the first thing we see in this passage of scripture we got six things that we're going to walk through real quick the first thing we see is that God gives children to Adam and Eve God gives children to Adam and Eve. They were placed here in, their cre- in being created. They were placed here to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth. There was a creative purpose for which God had placed them together. There was a reason why God, man could not do this alone. It takes two to, to give birth. I mean, ladies, you bear the brunt of that, but getting the child here took two, Correct. In this passage of scripture, we see Eve giving reverence to God and what's taking place. It says there, I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. This is the hand of God saying, look, I put you here. I told you to be fruitful and to, be, to multiply, but I am the one that is directing life. And she gives, gives God praise and glory and then says, look, I have conceived again. It says, verse two, again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. There are two boys here that are born to Adam and Eve because their responsibility up front was to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue the land, and to govern over it as image bearers of God. God starts the process for them, He gives them children. Two boys. I don't know if you've ever watched two boys grow up in the same house, but a lot of times there's a little rivalry that develops there between the two boys that grow up in the same house. Uh, One brother has to compete with the other brother, and uh, sometimes you've got brother-sisters that like to build the rivalry because that's what we call being siblings, correct? Anybody got more than one child in the house and have seen that played out, say amen, amen, there it is, I see those hands, all right. So what happens here is no different because Cain and Abel, though in the Bible, were growing up post the fall, after the sin, of the sin of Adam and Eve had been introduced into this world. But they knew that there was something that had to take place before God. So Cain and Abel, the second thing we see is that Cain and Abel bring sacrifices to God. It says there that Cain and Abel grew up. Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Cain followed in the path of his father. It was told to, told, told to Adam that he would be one that would work the land, that he would till the land, that he would subdue the earth. All of the created animals were under his pro, uh, over under his power, but his responsibility was to till the earth. It said there in verse uh, chapter chapter two, verse seventeen. It says, "Cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you will eat of it." All all the days of your life both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken it for you are dust cain is following in daddy's footsteps cain is tilling the ground just as his dad did abel on the other hand took after the flocks abel on the other hand started looking after the livestock And it's in this that Cain and Abel understand there is a God to be worshipped and we must honor him. So they bring sacrifices to him. It says that Cain brought some of the produce of the ground. And it says that Abel, on the other hand, brought one of the firstlings of his flock, one of the firstborn and the fat portions. But God had no regard for Cain's offering. God had regard for... Abel's offering and there's a division there in worshiping God there is a division that is created can I put it to you this way Cain walked through the garden and just picked a few I, I don't know exactly what he picked but he picked a few squash picked a couple of carrots grabbed an onion and just took him and said, here you go. But Abel on the other hand, he looked and said, this is the best one I have to offer. I'm gonna bring it and its fat portion see in old testament scripture what we find as we go through as we get into the book of exodus and start getting into the law it was the, the fat portions that it was offered to god that it created the pleasing aroma that it became an aroma offering to the lord god and that was what god chose and what god accepted and what god brought and what happens here in this passage of scripture is cain says here's you some fruit and veggies and so abel says here is the best i can give you god He understood to bring to God the best. And so they both bring a sacrifice, but one is engaging in worship and one is engaging in duty. And it says that God has no regard for Cain. And Cain gets mad, right? Cain gets mad about it. He's angry. The Bible says there in in, in Genesis chapter four, it says that Cain became very angry, very angry. And his countenance fell. And God even comes to him and says, hey, why are you angry? See, sometimes when God confronts us, we get a little more angry, don't we? Because nobody wants to be told, hey, you're wrong, dude. That, that's, that's not right. You need to be corrected. Nobody likes corrective punishment. Nobody likes corrective action. We like to be told, pat on the back, say, you're good, it's good. Just take it, take it. Here's your participation trophy. You showed up. Yay. That's what we want, Right. We want to have that back up. We're, we're like dogs. You can point sternly at a dog and it's going to tuck its tail, but you can go out to it with a hand out and scratch it behind the ear. It's going to be happy. It's going to love you. Oh, it's going to love you. Then you point at it and it cowers. We're kind of like dogs, right? God points as well. what not scratch me behind the ear? And God says, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted? But then he pulls the indictment and says, look, There is sin crouching at your door, Cain. There is something bigger than just the fact that I said no to what you offered. There is something bigger than the fact that I have rejected your offering, did not take any pleasure in what you offered. You have come for the purpose of worshiping worship, not worshiping me. They brought their sacrifices to God, but the whole construct of worship was now skewed. It was no longer about the God to be worshiped and what was being brought to worship him, but the fact that, well, I'm here, that's good enough. And we kind of operate in that same vein a lot of times. We call them sacred cows in the church, things that we we have as an object for why we or what we do when we worship rather than. The worship of God itself. You're like, no, oh, no, no, no. We don't have one of those. Let's move the church service time from 11 o'clock to 9 o'clock. Anybody? Hands? No. Well, let's, let's, don't do, let's just don't do. Let's don't do Sunday morning. Let's just do Sunday night instead of Sunday morning. Or maybe we just do Saturday night instead. But, you know, we, we can get a lot more people. But 11 o'clock Sunday mornings. We're supposed to be here. That's what I've got written in my calendar from now until I die, 11 o'clock Sunday morning. That's church, right? That becomes more about the time and the object rather than the one that we are worshiping, right? Well, why do we sing that song and not one of those other kind of songs? Either way. Why do we sing all hymns? We need to be doing the new stuff. Why do we sing all the new stuff? We need to be doing hymns. That becomes more about the object and not the one to whom we are offering the worship, right? Well, why why do we have pews and not chairs? Or why do we have chairs and not pews? Why don't we use books? Why don't we have... All of these things are peripheral things that we say, well, I was here, that was good enough, but I didn't get what I wanted out of it. We've substituted something for who God is and why we worship God. There are a lot of great utilities for worship. Worship. Instruments, choirs, screens, books, songs, sermons, all these things. But if that becomes the focus and if that becomes the point, we've pulled it off of God and we've come to God with just some vegetables and said, Here, God's good enough. Cain and Abel bring sacrifices to God, but only one engaged in worship. The third thing we see here is that Cain murders his brother. Cain murders his brother. It says there in verse 8 that Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. You know the story of Cain and Abel. You, you, you've, heard this, you, you've heard this narrative and you have learned about it in Sunday school and I wonder, I need to talk with some of our children, Sunday school teachers. I'm wondering, in our ever increasingly politically correct uh, uh, world where we live, how do you teach that one in kids' Sunday school now? Cain didn't invite Abel to play with him on the playground. Uh, what, what do we, what, how, how do we, how do we, we can't get away from anything other than the fact that Cain welled up with pride and that pride pressed to hate because he did not see. What God had offered him. You see what God offers him? Cain. There's sin lurching at the door. There's sin that's right there. It's it's waiting for you. You've got to to come to grips with this. You've got to master it or it's going to take you down. And Cain murders his brother. He didn't come to grips with it. He, he, He didn't take it. Not only does Cain murder his brother, God does what God does. It says there in the passage of Scripture that God confronts Cain and provides mercy to him. God comes to him, verse 9, the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? Again, when God confronts Cain and offers him mercy, it's not because he doesn't know what happens. It's not, it's not that Cain and Abel were in this hidden part of the field where God couldn't see. It's not that they were playing in somebody else's backyard where mom and dad couldn't see what was really going on. It wasn't that God was in a room or taking a break from being God. He came to him the same way he came to Adam and gives him an opportunity to confess the sin, to confess the wrongdoing. So he confronts him. It's the same he does with us. When he comes and starts poking and prodding in our heart, it's not to make us mad. It's not to make us angry. It's not to push us away. It's to give us an opportunity to say, Lord, you know what? I failed you. I might've hurt some other people, but ultimately my sin is against you, Lord. And so I confess to you my sin so that I can be right with you and then make it right with them. So he he confronts he confronts Cain. Hey, uh, Cain, where's your brother? And Cain lies to God. I don't know. I, I don't know, God. See, he's one step further removed than where his father was. You remember, he, uh, uh, Adam was asked by God, uh, what have you done? Did you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And, and Adam points finger, and says, well, it was the woman you gave me. If you hadn't given me her, you know, he points it back that way. He doesn't lie to God. He just tries to make it God's problem and not his own problem. We're good at that, right? Making it somebody else's problem, not our own. But instead, Cain says, no, 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 Uh, I'm going to one-up dad on this. Fathers, take note. Your sins will be passed down and multiplied by your children, mothers and fathers. It's generational and it happens. But he says, no, 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 no. (laughs) I don't even know where he is. You're like, Cain, that's so dumb. Why would you lie to God? Why do we lie to God? Why Why do we? God, I can't afford to give at church. Didn't stop you from spending how much on the lottery this week? But if I had that $1.6 billion, I could give more to the church. Yeah, yeah. But if you're an anonymous person from Sensonville, South Carolina, see me after the church, after service. God. God, I can't help in kids' ministry. I can't do this. I can't be there. I can't talk to somebody else about what I believe. I can't talk to somebody about my faith. God, I don't have the time to do this. I don't have the resources this. God's like, hey, I've got something. I can't, I can't. Why do you lie to God? It's not really sin. If you have to start your sentence with that, you're already lying. I don't know where my brother is. Woo. I don't know where the edge of the stage is. I don't know where my brother is. Am I his keeper? You see how he's now trying to bargain. He lies to God and then starts trying to bargain with God. Abel was the mama's boy. Mama always had to clean up after him. Go find mama. Mama probably knows where he is because I don't know. You ever lie to God then bargain with him? Most of the time it's because God has put something in your life that he is trying to use to mold you and to make you because we learn in scripture that you come to faith in Christ, your destiny is to be to conform to his image, to be made more like Christ. And in trial and in hardship and the things that we don't understand, the hurt, the pain, it's not to push us away from God. It's because God is cleansing us and drawing us more towards him to where we can see him. But we want to say, no, God, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. I don't want to do that. I can't do that. And we start bargaining with God. And God says, I've caught you, son. I've caught you because your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Oh, wait, you saw that? It's kind of like, you know, you catch your kids doing something. They don't realize that you know what they've just done. They'll have that, what? You caught me? How did you know about that? We've got a few, we've got a few school teachers uh, here, you know. You got your you got your back, you're writing on y'all still write on boards in the classroom, right? Yes, okay. You're up here writing on the board, and you know who's making the noise, you call their name, and you turn around it's like, and like, woo, and everybody's like, ooh, how'd she know? Eyes in the back of your head, right? Wait, 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 wait. How did you know, God, that my brother's blood was shed? There's nothing you can do that God doesn't know. He sees it all. And the reason most of us will not come to trust him is because we're too caught up in the lie that God does not know. God does not see. God will not hold me accountable. But now we have Adam held accountable. Now we have Cain held accountable. God confronts him and says, look here, I'm driving you out. You thought you were going to be tilling the land, but now you're going to be a wanderer, a beggar. The ground will not produce for you. I told your father because he was up front with me and we straightened that out. I told him that it would be hard work, but he was going to work the ground. But now guess what? You're not even getting that. And Cain cries out, Lord, this is way too hard. This is way too much. Not only are you driving me away, you're saying I'm not going to be able to eat, so somebody's going to find me and they're just going to kill me. I killed somebody, so just, yeah. And God offers mercy. He says to Cain, no, Anybody touches you, I'm going to avenge sevenfold. And it says there in the end of verse 16, it says that, or verse 15, that the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. That is the providence of God in the life of someone who has hardened their heart against God, that God would protect them. I want you to hear me clearly this morning. When God confronts you, it is an act of mercy so that he can show you what he has provided for you. So that you can see the glory and the power of Christ Jesus working through the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your pain is, no matter what you're hiding, you cannot hide it. God will come to you. He will put his finger on your heart and he will say, but you need to know I have appointed a savior For you. Don't just think that this is some random thing. Well, I never, I didn't kill my brother and lied to God about it. Bible says if you've broken God's law at one point, you're guilty of breaking the entire law. So you still need that mercy. You still need that grace. Maybe you're wrestling in your heart right now with God confronting you. Maybe he's been putting it on your heart and on your mind time and time and time again. He is offering you mercy. He wants you to know him. Not only does God confront Cain and provide mercy, but Cain then goes and begins a family. It says in verse 6, And that Cain went from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, which is east of Eden. He had relations with his wife. She conceived and gave birth to Enoch, and Cain built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. And then we go four generations later. Enoch gave birth to Irad. Arad gave birth to Mahujael. Mahujael gave birth to or his wife. The wives gave birth to Methushael. Methushael gave birth to Lamech. And this family of Cain... There is no evidence from the text of scripture that this family of Cain had any concept of the power of God and the mercy of God except for Lamech who says, look at me. I've killed a man for wounding me and a boy, a child for striking me. You think God's a big deal, gonna avenge old grandpa Cain over here sevenfold? I'm gonna avenge myself 77-fold. There is an acknowledgement of what God might have said or done in the past, but there is an arrogant stance of this is who I am because this is who our family is. Now, I have to be careful sometimes when I appropriate um, uh, things in pop culture or recent events into a message because you got to be careful which horse you hook your wagon to sometimes because you hook the wagon to that horse, it might go down a path you don't want it to go. So uh, I'm treading lightly here, but this whole thing makes me think of a character from an Adam Sandler movie that was called Billy Madison. Now, Billy Madison came out in the, in the mid 90s. It's not a family movie. So don't go home and watch it. Just, just take this snippet I'm giving you, The whole premise of the movie is the main character is the son of a wealthy, wealthy businessman, and he is a complete moral, social, goofball failure failed out of high school, and his dad's getting ready to retire and is gonna hand all the company and its assets over to someone else and not the son because the son is a complete and total failure. So a deal is struck up where this son, who is now in his late 20s, would go back and in the course of 12 weeks, complete first through 12th grade. And if he can complete this task, he will get the family fortune and the business and the company and all this. Well, there is a second character or a family that continues to appear through the movie. It's the O'Doyle family. The O'Doyle family is a family of bullies. And all throughout this movie, uh, Adam Sandler's character is terrorized or traumatized or bullied by one of the O'Doyles, whether it's a cup of yogurt on his head or whether it's a uh, slipping on a banana. There are all these things that the O'Doyle family, and they all come back and say, O'Doyle rules all the way through, and there's a pivotal scene where Billy Madison looks at the high school version of the O'Doyle family and says, I have a feeling your whole family's gonna go down O'Doyle. And then the family's driving in the family station wagon down the road and dad's going, hey, 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 who rules? the entire, all six boys in the car are yelling, O'Doyle rules, O'Doyle rules. Their car runs over a banana peel, slips off the road and crashes over a cliff. Horrible movie, but Lamech is O'Doyle. Who rules? I rule. And this is what Cain has established for me. We take it in our own hands. When things don't go our way, O'Doyle rules. It's the way that most of us operate, right? We want to take it into our hands and do what we want to with it. You hurt me. I'm not going to forgive you. I'm going to let you know how much you hurt me before I let you see forgiveness. But then there's the last thing. And that is that God gives Cain, or gives Adam and Eve another son. It says there in verse 25 that Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, for she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel. Now, here's what I want us to back out and understand. Cain and Abel, I don't know how old they are when all this takes place, but it is safe to assume they are probably in their 20s, that they are at the age where they can take some of the family work, the family business, that he can work the ground himself, that he can take care of the livestock himself and understand the coming to give a sacrifice to God. And I do not believe that we get all the way through. Now remember, Adam lived to be 930 years old. You know, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't a spring chicken. He, he wasn't like many of us where the life expectancy is somewhere in the mid-70s for, for, for us as Americans. He wasn't like that. 930 years. Anybody plan on hanging around for that long? You thought technology was out of hand now. Whoa. Let's fast forward 900 years. It's safe to assume that the Cain narrative with his generations is a parenthesis, and that was somewhat close to after the death of Abel that God steps in. And here's why. Because I want us to see the main idea of what this passage is about. And the main idea of why, what the sermon is before we get into the worship. And that is this. That God demonstrates his faithfulness to us by assuring that the seed of woman would continue until Jesus Christ provided the final victory God demonstrates his faithfulness to us if God was faithful to Adam and Eve to fulfill the promise Eve out of your seed one's coming from you that will put an end to this death to this misery to the curse of sin that one is coming one day it wasn't coming through Cain Cain had hardened his heart he killed his brother So the line must continue. And God demonstrated his faithfulness to Eve in providing the son that would carry the line that the seed would come one day through him. And God demonstrates his faithfulness to us by giving us testimony of his faithfulness to Eve. If we know that Eve was given the the line of passage from sin to savior, then we must see that we can trust this God who provided the line of the family comes through Seth. Seth who through his line we get all the way down to Abraham. From Abraham we get through his line all the way down to David. And from David we get all the way down from his line to Jesus. It's a faithful God. But why is this about worship? Why is seeing God's faithfulness demonstrated to Eve about worship for us? Three quick things. And I've got these listed as questions because I do believe oftentimes as we look at the Word of God, it's appropriate for us to ask ourselves questions in response to what the Word of God has said. And so we'll start somewhat general and ask the question, have I identified the serpent? Have I identified the serpent? And, and you're looking, I know, you're looking here at this text of scripture and looking at this passage, these verses, and you're saying, I, I don't see the serpent listed. The serpent was in chapter three, right? The serpent didn't end in chapter. He was present and he was speaking and breathing lies into the ear and into the heart of Eve. And Adam did nothing to stop it. Adam did not identify the serpent in the garden. And to his son Cain, it was not given to identify the serpent who was stirring him up against his own brother. Out of worship. You think that being here and being in the pews and being in these brick walls is the safest place, but it's not. Because it is in this context where you have said, I am worshiping the king of glory. I'm worshiping the king of kings. I'm praising his great name. I'm good that Satan's going to say, no, here's something I want you to consider. The closer you get to Christ, the more you set yourself as a target for the serpent to come after you. You remember what happened to Adam and Eve? You remember? It was just them and God. God was coming every day to walk with them. God was coming every day to stroll through the garden with them. They had nothing between them and God. And we come like, yeah, I went to church. We sang my favorite song this morning. I got to hear my favorite preacher of all time. And and I got to look at the word. Oh, I'm so close to Jesus right now. Wait. Wasn't Jesus worshiping God in the garden for 40 days and 40 nights, in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, praying and fasting and seeking him when Satan said, hey, come on up, man. I know you're hungry. You made all this stuff. You can make that rock become a piece of bread. Jesus could have said, let me not be hungry anymore, and it would have happened. Jesus could have said, let there be manna fall from the sky. Jesus could have said, let there be a steak dinner right here, and it would have happened. It didn't have to have a rock, but what he saw was the serpent. As you get closer to God, that serpent's gonna slither. He's gonna slither in. Cain, your, your, your worship was not accepted by God because of the content of your heart, the the the, the quality of what you brought. And God says, Do well. Get over it and come to me with the full offering, with the full sacrifice, with what you need. But you've got to know that that serpent is slithering right there. Sin is crouched at the door and you've got to take it over. You remember Adam's first key of dominion was not the land, but spiritual dominion over the serpent. And he failed. He didn't put his foot down and say, this says the Lord God, not this says the serpent. And here's Cain. Didn't identify the serpent. What about you, man? The serpent's not going to look the same. We were at the zoo yesterday. We took the kids over there yesterday morning with uh, one of our church families. And, you know, I'm looking and uh, I'm talking with Brad. We're in the, the little snake gallery or whatever. And I'm looking at this snake. Like, oh, this is a copperhead. See, it has this headless. You can identify a copperhead because of the way it's headless, the way its pattern looks, and all that kind of stuff. There are certain identities. You can, man, you can go through. I did not know this, but there is a specific snake from Jamaica. I did not know that. It was the Jamaican boa. It's the only place it's ever found. So if you're from Jamaica, I'm sorry you have your own snake. You really couldn't notice because I had long hair and uh, said, hey, ma." Uh, just kidding. Uh, just kidding. Bad joke. Bad joke. So but he, you can identify certain snakes based on their biological characteristics. You cannot identify the serpent based on biological characteristics, but the sin pattern. And it's going to be different for you than it is for me. You have to identify the serpent because when you worship God, the serpent will come. Maybe Jesus in the garden or in the the wilderness wasn't the one that struck the chord for you. When Jesus was in agony in the garden praying, Father, is there any other way? If we can redeem people, if we can save people, if we can do this thing any other way, Lord, let it be, but not my will, but your will be done. The serpent slithering in and saying, Jesus, remember, you're the son of God. There's got to be another way. You've got to identify the serpent. Not my will, but yours, Lord. Maybe the second question we ask ourselves this morning is, do I trust in God or do I trust in me? Do I trust in God or do I trust in me? You remember Lamech? Yeah. Yeah. Remember, Grandpa Cain, God was going to avenge him sevenfold, but you haven't run across Lamech yet. I'm going to ad- address myself, avenge myself, 77-fold. Completely different from Jesus. Jesus, on the other hand, in Matthew chapter 18, is asked by his disciples, Hey, um, Lord, should we forgive our friends, those that hurt us, our family, our brother? Uh, should we forgive them seven times or 70 times? Jesus says neither, 77 times. The point is forgive. Lamech says, I'm going to avenge myself 77 times. Jesus says, forgive 77 fold because you are following in the way of God. You are trusting in God. We're trusting in God, not me. We're not trusting in First Baptist. We're not trusting in the pastor. We're not trusting in, 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 in our marriages. We're not trusting in our kids. We're not trusting, we're trusting in God. And in trusting in God, we see the fruit of the gospel in our, in our marriages, in the way we parent, in the way we operate the church, in the way that we seek as a diverse family of believers to make disciples, build families, and reach this community in ways that stretch beyond age, ethnicity, and status. Something different. Not in saying, well, we, we've got a pastor to lead us. We've got a music pastor to lead us. We've got a, we've got a Hispanic pastor to lead us. And we've got Sunday school teachers to lead us. We've got this. Lead. No, in how God directs us. Are we trusting in ourselves? Or are we trusting in God? Now, before anyone says, I'm not going to do anything because I've got to wait on God. When we're waiting, we are doing, Okay. Trusting in God is not a license to laziness or complicity or, or, or sitting on the back burner waiting on God as saying, I'm going to the front lines. And trusting in God as saying, I'm going to the front of the battle where I can be used by him to the most effect for his glory. And then the third question we ask. And, and, and this one really gets at the heart of the Cain and Abel narrative, I believe. And really gets into our response to this faithful God. Am I giving God some of? Or am I giving God the best of? Am I, am I giving God some of what I have? Some of what I can do? Some of, some of who I am? Or I give, am I giving God the best of what I have? What I do? Who I am? All of these things. See, what happens in this passage of scripture is Cain brings some of, but Abel brings the best of. Not just the first fruit, not just the very beginning, but the best portions of that. It says he brought the fat portions, the thick portions. He didn't just kind of skim off the edge and say, oh, that'll do. He brought the best of what God had. And when God looks at us, remember Jesus says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but to God what is God's. What does God have on us? His image, we are to bring the best Best of who we are before God. And that doesn't mean we just come at 11 o'clock and we get here on time. We make sure we got our seats so and we have to sit somewhere else because somebody sat in our seat because they didn't know it was our seat. It means that we get here and we engage. I can't tell you the number of people I've talked with before and after a church service that are here in body, but not in mind and spirit, that there's a spiritual engagement of bringing the best of what we have. And we can't all do the same things and we won't all do the same things. But the point is what we do bring and what we do offer that it's the best of what we have. Most of the reason we don't give in church is because we have given everywhere else that the best is not left. It's just a little that's left. Whoops! Most of the reason we don't serve in church is because we've extended our, our, our calendar. We've extended our schedule to everything else in the world to where we don't have a chance to come and serve God. So the most we can offer is an hour on Sunday morning, an hour and 20 minutes if we're lucky. On Sunday morning with no engagement with who God is and what God has for us. We're living on the margins rather than living in the meat because we've got, brought God some of and not the best of. The reason it's important for us to bring God the best of is because God sent us the best. The only blood that could wash away our sins the only power that could forgive us the only redeemer the only savior the only name that is above every name jesus christ he sent from the glories beyond we could ever of anything we could compare to as glorious he sent him into this world he delivered he demonstrated his faithfulness to us by promising and assuring that the seed of woman would continue until jesus christ provides final victory and we're waiting for that day we're waiting for that day. Jesus came and he bled and he died and he rose again. But one day he's coming back. And when he does, the serpent will be banished forever. Sin, death, its power, its purpose, its pain will be gone forever. So we give God our best because his best was given for us. Maybe this morning you need to give your life to Christ. You're in the throes of the here and now and it's terrible. It's terrible. I wish I could make life better. I really do. I really wish I would. And and, and a lottery ticket's not gonna make life better. A better job, a better car, a better house, a better service is not going to make life better. It could be a Band-Aid. It could be something that will appease for a little while, but it's not going to make it what it's supposed to be. Only a relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ will do that. So if you've got pain, he's a... Pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom, he's the one who's the chain breaker. Not just a way, the way.